This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include Mature Themes You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 368. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you. I'll also share the latest on my writing endeavors. So let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you the conclusion of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. No recap this week, folks. I'm going to play you the last chapter, and then you'll hear a special afterword from our Metamorian novelist, Dr. Williams. Here's chapter 19. Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue Book 3 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 19 Dreamers The next few weeks were tumultuous, for Honor and everyone else. By Monday afternoon, the whole city had heard what transpired at the Drowling Chateau, and the season came to a shuddering halt as everyone grappled with the ramifications. A decorated general and a key member of the Conservative Caucus had been caught using mind magic to sway the members of the Council of Peers. Dirty tricks were hardly unusual in metamorph politics, but nothing this dastardly had been attempted in centuries. The Progressive Caucus cried sedition, other conservatives loudly denied any knowledge of the plot, and the centrists, who had been the primary victims of Drowling's spell, were utterly furious. Thaddeus Barnhart, Earl of Dragonmarch, pointedly reminded the council of the ancient punishment for sedition, to have one's head mounted on a pike as a warning to others. If the conservative faction is so enamored of traditional values, he snarled, Perhaps they would see fit to revive the practice. In the end, it took the combined efforts of Duke Thomas and Majestrix Kaya to cool things down. The Majestrix declared that the Drowlings and Tyrrell would be tried before the High Court of Metamore, whose Lord Justices answered directly to her. This took the matter out of the hands of the Council, which reassured jittery conservatives who feared an inquisition against their members. Everyone trusted that the immortal Kaya would see justice administered fairly. She was, after all, the literal spirit of Metamor, and the protection of her subjects was her singular God's-given purpose. Duke Thomas, meanwhile, exercised his royal prerogative to preside over the council, and was quick to bring down the gavel when tempers flared and the rhetoric became overheated. 
Most of the council's meetings that week were held in closed session, so Honor was not there when the succession reform or the veterans bill came up for their votes. Both measures passed, with unanimous support from the progressives and strong backing among the centrists as well. The Veterans Bill even garnered the support of Count Halloway and other prominent conservatives, who had previously grumbled about the high cost of the program. I suspect they are looking to brush up their patriotic credentials, Countess Harcourt said dryly, when Honor asked about it. The party of sedition is not an identity that rests easily with them. Honor learned about her own change in status when Lord Bellevue came home from the council one day and promptly called a house meeting. In the dining hall, with Natasha, Mabel, and the whole household staff looking on, he presented her with the label of the house scion, a horizontal gold bar with three downward tags, to be worn above the family crest at official house functions. Lord Bellevue pinned it to her dress like a medal, and everyone cheered. Notably absent from the proceedings were Cousin Tyrrell, who was being held in Metamore Keep pending his trial, and Cousin Graham, who was facing problems of his own. Lord Bellevue had not been pleased with his former scion's attempt to eject Natasha from the house, and threatened to have him excoriated if he tried anything like that again. Graham quit the season early and went to visit friends abroad, perhaps somewhere they did not know about his fallen standing. The case against Graham and Major Rutgers, sadly, met with much less success than the prosecution of Tyrrell and the Drowlings. By the time the dust settled around the mind magic affair, Rutgers had slipped out of the city and retired to his family estate, which was outside the jurisdiction of the Metamore City Police. The Council of Peers could have forced his extradition back to the city, and Father was ready to make the attempt, but Natasha asked him to drop the matter. She was still under the gag order that had secured her honorable discharge, and any further public discussion of her and Rutgers would put her in danger of violating her oath. She certainly would not be able to make her case to the council without telling them why Rutgers had wanted revenge, and there were no other eyewitnesses who could have testified. Even Alex and Duke Thomas could only share hearsay. If Rutgers was going to crawl back under a rock, Natasha was content to leave him there. One aspect of her new life that Honor had not anticipated was a sudden increase in the demand for her time and attention. With the big council votes now finished, and the Drowling case subjected to the slow grind of justice, the season gradually began ramping up again. Honor received letters and invitations from many more members of the peerage, which she kept up with as best she could. Word had gotten out about her confrontation with Cousin Tyrrell, and the confession of her sexuality that had come with it. Rather than making her a pariah, as she had half expected, her boldness and honesty had earned the admiration of a good number of her fellow nobles. Some of them confessed that they, too, were attracted to their own sex, or at least had had enough feelings in that direction to make them wonder about it. One lord in his fifties, a minor member of a conservative house, wrote that he had lived his entire life hiding his attraction to other men, fearing that he would be ruined if anyone found out. Honor's public declaration had given him the courage to begin sharing his secret with others. If she could do it, he reasoned, then so could he. Some of the added attention came instead from her new status as a house scion. 
This put her in an unusual group. Nobles who were marked for future prominence, but did not, as yet, exercise any power. Honor soon discovered that the Scions had a kind of shadow season, running in parallel to the season's main events. It lived in the interstices, in late-night after-parties and champagne brunches, in birthday celebrations and box seats at the opera house. Everyone is taking the measure of one another, Alex explained, looking for the ones who will lead when our generation takes power. Well, that certainly won't be me, Honor laughed. A submissive being looked to as a leader. Can you imagine? At this, Alex and Natasha shared a significant look and smiled enigmatically. But whatever they might have been thinking, they did not tell Honor. Honor's courtship with Alex continued steadily throughout the rest of the season, and they appeared frequently together at the year's remaining social events. At summer's end, the Townsends invited the Bellevues over to their tower for dinner, and while Alex, Natasha, and Honor explored the market downstairs, the parents withdrew to RLI's study to hash out the terms of the engagement. The wedding was set for the following spring. Behind closed doors, Honor and Natasha's arrangement with Alex continued, to the satisfaction of all three. They took turns sleeping over at each other's homes, and the parents and staff all gave them the space and time alone that they needed. Alex was endlessly curious about the various forms of dominance play that Honor and Natasha were exploring, and both women found that they enjoyed putting on scenes for their audience of one. Honor particularly appreciated the aftercare, when all three of them would snuggle close on the bed together, talking and laughing softly late into the night. On the last night of summer, they laid out pillows and blankets in the garden atop Townsend Tower. As they lay cuddled together, watching the shooting stars pass overhead, Honor shook her head and chuckled to herself. It still feels like a dream, she said. All of this, I keep thinking that one day I'm going to wake up and I shall be back in my normal, ordinary life. Natasha leaned over and kissed her temple. I never think that, she said. My dreams are not this good. Alex draped an arm over Honor and patted Natasha's hip. I do hope we can replace those dreams with better ones someday. Natasha smiled, close-lipped, and covered Alex's hand with her own. They come less often now. If one day I stop dreaming completely, this would be good with me. You dream enough for all three of us. Alex grinned back at her. Always. And I shall keep dreaming of a better world until we build it. Honor snaked her arms around them both, drawing them more tightly to herself. I have my better world right here, she said. The End Afterward The Progressive Era, 1890-1940 Christos Reckoning, was a time of unprecedented social change for the Empire of Metamor. The First and Second Great Wars had upended the established order all over the world, but Metamor had been uniquely fortunate because the violence had never touched its native soil. With many of the world's most developed nations in ruins, 
both physically and economically, the empire stepped into the gap, enjoying a sudden burst of economic growth and prosperity that has never been equaled before or since. It was in this post-war era that the modern progressive coalition rose to power, promising a better, brighter, and more just world for everyone. This dream did not entirely come to fruition in the ways the progressives had dreamed. We need only look around at our own world to see that. Here, in Metamore City, the social stratification of the classes has become literal stratification as well. The vast, skyscraping towers that fill Metamore Valley may be breathtaking when viewed from above, but they have created the dark and shadowed world of the street, where the crushing inequality of Metamore society is as obvious as it ever was. Countess Harcourt's vision of an egalitarian society seems now, as then, so far from reality as to be impossible. But it would be a mistake to discount the achievements of the progressives entirely. We can thank them for most of the components of the modern social safety net, universal education, universal health care, imperfect though it is, the imperial pension fund, the minimum wage, mandatory parental leave... I could go on. Without the progressive era, our world would be a much harsher and crueler place. The Veterans Adjustment Act of 1894 was the first step down this road. It was far from the last. Honor, Natasha, and Alex are fictional characters, of course. You will not find them in your history books. Not even the very thick ones that my cat Marmalade is using as a perch on the corner of my desk as I write this. But they are not entirely the work of my imagination, either. Each of them is a sort of composite, drawn from the many letters, diaries, and photographs that survive from this period. Progressive-era Metamore was full of bright, talented young people who believed they could make their world a better place. City-bred, starry-eyed dreamers, like Alex. Country folk, like Honor, straining against the confines of their traditional roles, and working-class veterans like Natasha, who used their military service in the Second Great War as a springboard to greater things, even though the scars of war never truly left them. In future books, I hope to continue to explore the progressive era through their eyes, and to share some of the stories I have uncovered in my research. Making the jump from academia to writing historical romance was never something I had seriously imagined myself doing, but a forced sabbatical for health reasons left me with a great deal of time on my hands and a need to lift my own spirits. At the urging of my partner, Isabella, I set aside the scholarly papers and began writing purely for my own pleasure, something I had not done with any frequency since graduate school. The progressive era has always been tremendously exciting to me, but I am an academic and, frankly, something of an eccentric. Most people, I am told, do not let out whoops of joy upon finding newspaper clippings from 1895 tucked away inside an old diary. I wanted to tell a story that would let the reader feel that excitement, to imagine the thrill of a young person watching society change so quickly around them living in an age when anything and everything seemed possible. I believe that we all need to recapture a bit of that old progressive spirit, to believe the world can be better, and that we are the ones to change it. Because if we believe that, 
then it will be true. Lillian C. Williams, February 11th, 1999 Christos Reckoning, Metamore City, Empire of Metamore. Editor's Acknowledgements This is the editor, Chris Lester. This series would not have made the jump from Metamore's world to ours without the generous contributions of several wonderful people. Abigail Hilton first noticed L.C. Williams' work when it showed up in my novel Homecoming, where John the Incubus was loaned a copy of Honor Bound by a Lightbringer agent. I had briefly summarized the characters and setting of the book as John read it, and I had not intended to investigate the content any further than that. Abby, however, pointed out that this was exactly the sort of story that might find a wider audience in our own world, and strongly suggested that I look into the possibility. Thus began my cross-world collaboration with Dr. Williams, which came to fruition during the long, lonely months of the COVID-19 pandemic. I, too, was looking for a story to lift my spirits during that dark time, and the adventures of Honor, Natasha, and Alex were a balm to my soul. Thank you, Abby, for once again giving me the push to take risks and expand my literary horizons. Special thanks to Lore Levac, who served as a sensitivity reader and consultant on matters related to polyamory, BDSM, non-binary gender identities, and queer issues in general, and to K.T. Brisky, who played the same role on matters related to asexuality and ace people in poly relationships. Their feedback absolutely made this a better manuscript. Any errors or shortcomings that may remain are my own responsibility. I must also thank Starla Hutchton for the excellent cover design, Vivian Ferrari for her masterful narration of the audiobook, and the fans in my Patreon group, www.patreon.com slash author Chris Lester, who read the first draft of this manuscript as Dr. Williams conveyed it to me. Sarah Testarossa deserves a special commendation here, as she left detailed feedback on nearly every chapter as we posted it. Special thanks also go to the following patrons for their exceptionally generous support. Ariok Morningstar, David Pearson, Guardian Lion, Corinthia Hanna, Mark Vanderpaul, Stephen Jensen, Okaron, Craig Button, Paul Fisher, Qnome, Geekery Maid, Brand Gamblin, and Rosemary Tizzledown. Lastly, thank you to all of you who have read or listened to this story. I look forward to bringing you more of Dr. Williams's historical romance novels in the future. Chris Lester, Editor, Liminal Corvid Press, February 11th, 2021 CE, Madison, Wisconsin. And that concludes Honor Reclaimed and this first trilogy in the House of Bellevue. I hope you enjoyed hearing it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you'd like to share this story with a friend, and maybe they're not into audiobooks, why not get them the Omnibus Edition, Honor of Bellevue? This is a 6-inch by 9-inch hardcover, with a beautiful case-bound laminate cover, featuring the stunning work of Bad Moon Art Studio. It contains all three books and the prequel novella, Learning the Ropes, I have one of these copies myself, and I'm very impressed with the quality. 
It can be yours at Amazon.com for just $24.95 in US dollars, or you can get the trade paperback version for $16.95. If you're an ebook reader, you can pick up the individual books of the trilogy at the Amazon Kindle store. And if you want to hear Vivian Ferrari's luscious audio without all the intro and outro chatter, all three books are available at audible.com. Khaled Husseini said, Writing fiction is the art of weaving a series of lies to arrive at a greater truth. So, cross your fingers behind your back. It's time for the Weekly Writing Report. This update covers the week of January 28th through February 3rd. I wrote 7,537 words this week, over the course of 10 hours, for an average writing speed of 754 words per hour. I wrote on all seven days this week, and have gone 45 days without breaking my chain. Looking back at the month of January, I wrote a total of 26,064 words in 28 days, averaging 931 words per day. That ranks fifth out of 93 months since I started this show. I spent 34.25 hours writing in January. Compared to December, my word count increased by 53%, and my writing time increased by 47%. This week I continued the planning for my upcoming Cypher System role-playing campaign, which I started doing background work on last week. I'm planning to use this campaign as a testbed for the new mechanics that I want to bring into the game, which I will need in order to adapt Metamore City for play. Transformation is one of the core concepts for Metamore, so the game needs to capture both the flexibility for characters to assume different forms, and the idea that taking on those forms can cause them to gain or lose magical stress. Transforming is something that the characters in this campaign are going to be doing a lot of, so it's a great opportunity to playtest that mechanic. I've added about 5,000 words to my Game Master notes this week. This is the last installment of Season 8 of The Raven and the Writing Desk. When I started this show in May of 2015, I had only published three books, Urban Legends, Making the Cut, and Things Unseen. Only the first two had been aired on the Metamore City podcast, and I had spent more than four years on hiatus while I tried to make new material. Apart from finishing Things Unseen, I hadn't been very successful. In the years since I started this show, I've managed to keep ahead of my production buffer by writing new material and re-recording older stories as a solo narrator. As a result, I've been able to release seven more books over eight years, and released all ten of my books on Audible. Now it's time for me to take another break. Out of the Shadows isn't ready to be recorded yet, and I don't have the money right now to hire Vivian to do it anyway. Even if I did, that's only enough material for about ten episodes. And unlike previous times when this has happened, I don't have anything left in my back catalog to pull out and record for you. At least, nothing that I think is up to my current standards. So it's time to put the show on pause, while I prepare some more stories for you to enjoy. Don't worry, though, I'm not going away completely. One of the things that has kept me coming back to my writing over the last eight years is the fact that I have to report in to you, my listeners, about the stuff I've been working on. 
I've also got a core of truly dedicated fans on my Patreon who are looking forward with excitement to every new chapter I finish. So here's the deal. I'm going to continue posting chapters of my fiction on the Patreon feed as I write them. They'll be visible to all patrons at the $3 level and higher. Once a month, I'll record a writing update to check in and let you know how I've been doing. I might also go back to doing some author interviews from time to time, but that will depend on the interest level, both from fans and from writers. If you've got a lead on someone you think would make a good guest for the show, drop me a line. MetamorCityFeedback at gmail.com Lastly, I'll continue to commission and post new bonus art on the Patreon feed for as long as our total pledges stay above $200 a month. Laurel, Stella, and I are both excited about our partnership, and we've got some cool stuff to show you over the coming months. When am I coming back with Season 9? I don't know yet. At a minimum, I'd like to have All the World of Fire and Out of the Shadows finished and edited. Between the two of them, that might be enough for a full season right there, especially with how big the Kevin story is getting. When we do come back, though, I want to make sure that I build a big recording buffer before the first episode drops, so that I can release the episodes without interruption, just like I did this year. I don't want anyone to feel like I left them hanging in the middle of a story. To all of you who have stuck with me over the last eight years, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for believing in me, in this world, in these stories. Thank you for the emails, and the ratings, and the voicemails, and all the times you've shared this show with someone new. Most of all, thank you to my Patreon supporters, who have made both this show and my ongoing writing career possible. So, until next time, whenever that may be, keep it on the bright side. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, the fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi! If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.